Well, good morning. It's uh, good to be with you again. I guess it was a couple years back uh, that I was here, so right after the, uh, I guess we've had multiple floods or so, but it wasn't uh, a couple of years ago and uh, when the Baptist men were in town. Uh, so it's a pleasure to be back with you, and um, again, my wife Heather and I are happy to, to celebrate uh, worship with the fellow believers here in town. Um, so it is New Year's, right, or near New Year's, and so uh, it's always one of those times you think, is it, is it a time to look back, or is it more of a time to look forward? So it's about kind of ending things, so you'll see, I guess uh, maybe you've seen the top 10 lists of different things, the people that have died this year, the major events, things like that. But then we also have those uh, things that we look forward to, right? There are the other top 10 lists. What are the top 10 resolutions that we're going to make going forward? And uh, it has this question, you know, is, is New Year's a time for looking back or looking forwards more? And it's actually the, the major song that we sing for New Year's, uh, Auld Lang Syne, uh, actually is a question that, that sits at the, the heart of this. Now, uh, people have said it's the most famous song in the world that nobody knows the words to. So, um, we, in fact, we don't even know. Uh, I had to go look up, like, what does Auld Lang Syne mean? Um, it uh, comes from a poem that a, a Scottish poet, his name is Robert Burns, um, he, he wrote this uh, poem, My Love is Like a Red, Red Rose, if you uh, might remember that from your high school days, maybe, or if uh, you're romantic and uh, have given it to your uh, significant other. But, um, and so, of course, it, uh, it's Scottish then, that, that bit. Now, the rest of the poem uh, is uh, in English, or mostly in English, and, um, and it reminds me, like, when I went to look that up, it was... Uh, my family and I, we got to live in England for five years uh, when I did my doctoral work. And we actually lived right on the Scottish border, or near it, I guess, at least the historic one in a city named Durham. And uh, it reminded me that uh, Winston Churchill once described the difference, uh, the U.S. and the U.K. as two countries divided by a common language. Because we think we both speak English, but we don't necessarily understand one another. And so uh, when I moved there, the, the uh, house that we lived in, uh, as they called it, an estate uh, instead of a neighborhood is the term they used there. And there was a, a gentleman, he was in his 80s, uh, that lived just next door to us and had lived on that one street his whole life. And I understood about 50% of the conversation I had with him that first, uh, first day because his accent was so different. So the, the British accent is very distinct depending on what part of the country you're in. And so the part of England that we lived in in Durham were like the hillbillies, right? So even the people in London, or, so it wouldn't be Hugh Grant or the Queen's English that you would hear on the BBC or something like that. These are the, the backwoods people. And so this guy, you know, was very local. Um, and, uh, and so like part of the conversation, he asked me about my bins. And I was like, I don't know what bins are, but my name is Ben. So, and it was, I think he was referring to my kids. And so I was like, so do you call your children here by the parents' first name, right? So they would be your Davids or your Heathers or something. Well, it turns out there's a, a Scottish and English word, bairns, uh, B-A-I-R-N-S, uh, which means kids. And in that part of England, it comes out as bins instead of bairns. Uh, you roll it a little bit more in, in Scotland. 
Um, or there was a debate that I had at, uh, my wife uh, worked there and, and uh, at a store, and so when we, it was common in, in town there, when you would say goodbye to somebody, you would say, ta Now, I could have sworn I was hearing people say, ta-ta, right? So... <laughs> And so that was fine. That made sense to me. And so my wife and I had this debate. It's like, well, I hear people saying ta-ta. And she's like, no, it's clearly ta-ra. So she asked her friend, and, and her friend's like, of course it's ta-ra. Who am I, uh, the Queen of England, right? Because ta-ta would be like what the upper class people would say, and ta-ra is what the local people right, use. Or another crazy phrase that we had uh, was get canny as ought. Get canny as ought. And so what that was, this is how you would describe somebody. A canny person is a really nice person or somebody that uh, uh, is... And so if you're get canny, you're a really nice person. But if you're get canny as ought, you're the most nice or the greatest person, you know. And so that's the way you describe somebody that you really liked. And so we come to like all dang lang syne here. It's like one of these other phrases that... Who in the world knows what that means? Well, it means the old, long times. Um, and so the, the, the song starts off, or the poem said, Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot and old lang syne? Or should we forget, right, these old times that have passed? And so it's one of that's why we sing it at New Year's. Is it more about ending the past year and forgetting what's gone on? And, or is it more about looking forward and uh, seeing what is going to happen new there? And so it seems a, a great uh, song to think about. And our passage today, we're going to uh, read out of Galatians 3, um, brings up this question. Uh, Paul asked this question, uh, do we, uh, should we forget our, our old commitments? Should old commitments be forgot? Or even there's an acquaintance here that Paul's going to talk about in Galatians 3. Uh, should that acquaintance with the Holy Spirit be forgot in our lives? And so let's uh, take a moment and I'll read this passage for us, if we will. So it's Galatians 3, we're going to read verses 1 to 6. And it's right in the middle of an argument, so he's going to um, jump in with a few things here and I'll set that context. Well, let me start off with that. So in Galatians 2, Paul, uh, in 1 and 2, Paul tells a bit of his own story, his biography about how he came to Christ and, and uh, Christ uh, called him to the ministry to serve the Gentiles. And um, in that ministry, he uh, met uh, the other apostles, and particularly the apostle Peter, who was also uh, obviously instrumental in helping establish the church. And while in Antioch, one of the, the major uh, hubs of, so it would be, Antioch's like the Chicago of, or the Houston of the ancient world, right? It's a part of the Mediterranean, very major city, uh, and so this is where Christianity um, was established early, and it was actually a, a major center for sending out Paul on his missionary journeys. And so in Antioch, uh, Peter was there ministering, and eventually, though, the, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians had this split. The Jewish Christians kind of considered themselves, as I like to say, the cool kids, right? They had the Jewish faith. They came out of the promises that God had gave. And so as believers in Christ, then they felt, felt that they had a leg up over the Gentile Christians who 
were, of course, believers in Jesus, but didn't have everything of that heritage there with them. And so they started not eating together, right? They had this division about who were the better Christians, the ones who had the better system way of being, and they didn't kind of integrate with one another. And so Peter, even though uh, he was a great apostle, ended up falling into this trap. And so in Galatians 2, uh, Paul talks about how he uh, called out Peter on this and said that, no, we all are equal before the cross. And so it's in light of this that we are all justified by faith. We all are set right before God by faith, not by something else, not by our, our heritage, not by our works, not anything else that is of value. Only Christ is the value in our lives. And so that we die with Christ and we live with him, as our songs have talked about. And so it's in light of this that Galatians 3, as he passes, uh, moves to this next bit of the argument, and he says Verse 1, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So I ask you again, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you believing what you've heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so as we uh, think through this passage, we're going to ask this question. So just old acquaintance be forgot, the acquaintance with the Holy Spirit in our, our lives, particularly as we think about moving into this time of the new year. Where does the Spirit fit within that? So as we're thinking there, uh, Paul starts off with this idea, this premise. He doesn't spend a lot of time on it here, but the, the Christian life began with the Spirit and so he's going to ask the question of, should we continue with the Spirit? And so I'm going to take a couple of minutes to think about what does it look like for our, Christ, our Christian life to have begun with the Holy Spirit? And so uh, let's think through just, in a sense, the biblical theology of the Spirit. There's a, there's a narrative arc about what God has done in the world. And so it starts off with this promise of the new covenant in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, the people of God... Uh, the Israelites were unfaithful, and so they had broken the covenant, and God was giving this hope, this promise of restoration in the future. So they had gone into exile, and part of them coming back to the promised land was the restoration through the power of the Spirit. And so these are new covenant passages, so uh, Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31, or Joel 2, that, and a lot of these talk about the renewal of God that comes through here. And so I want to give you just one of these key passages in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, uh, as part of this new covenant hope and this restoration, it reads, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And so this new covenant hope would be that the people of God would be restored inwardly through the power of the Spirit. And of course, we see this play out in Jesus' own ministry. John the Baptist is baptizing people, 
and uh, they ask him, uh, what's he doing this all for? And he talks about the one who will come after him, and he says, I baptize you with water, but one who comes after me is greater than me, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, it says in Luke chapter 3. And of course, we know just immediately after that, Jesus does come, and he is actually baptized by John. And what do we see at Jesus' baptism? But the Holy Spirit coming down on Christ. Now, of course, Christ didn't need the Holy Spirit for repentance or for, to bring holiness to him for sin. But it was in that he was modeling for us that in our own baptisms, we experience the Holy Spirit. And so we see this in uh, the disciples' ministry, but particularly in Acts 2, when the church begins to follow in this path of Christ. What does it look like to be a Christian, to be the church? And so Acts 1 and 2, again, Jesus, after he dies and raises from the dead, uh, he is teaching his disciples in Acts chapter 1, and they ask him, when are you going to establish the kingdom? And he says, well, it's not for you to know those times, but you do need to know that the Holy Spirit is going to come on you, and you'll receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in all the world. That's Acts 1.8. And so that's the, the, the marker of the book of Acts, about the presence of the Holy Spirit with the church. And so we see, of course, that happens in Acts 2 with Pentecost. The Spirit comes down on the people, and um, Peter, uh, who we just talked about, preaches this sermon, and uh, several thousand people respond to that. And the question they say is, what do we do? How do we follow this Messiah, Jesus, who brings this experience? And Peter responds to them and says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and so that you can receive the Holy Spirit as well. And so it's part of this story, this narrative of the Christian faith about what God has promised in the past to bring this restoration to the future that Paul is standing in the midst of, and he says, this is what established your life. You began with the Holy Spirit, and so are you going to do something else And when you continue there? And so as we come to Galatians, right, we're thinking about this, uh, Paul wants to remind them of this acquaintance, right? Don't forget this acquaintance that you started with. And when we think about the Spirit here, uh, it's could be a little bit challenging. Um, uh, I have a book uh, somebody has written, uh, God the Father, we can image in our mind, right? The old man with the white hair or Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is, uh, the name of this book is God without a face. We, we almost don't know uh, how to image the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so there's lots of analogies. Sometimes you'll hear people say the Spirit is like the force in Star Wars, something like that. Uh, but when uh, Jesus talks about baptism in the Great Commission, what does he say? Baptize, one, go out and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so if the Father is a person and the Son is a person, then surely the Spirit is a person as well. Um, and so it's not just a, a, a movement or a force within us, but it's God himself that we're encountering uh, when we encounter the Holy Spirit. But one of the main things that we have in the biblical text is uh, that the Spirit is the one who guides us and leads us, and so that people are full of the Spirit. And so in this um, encounter with the Spirit, it's, it, it makes us think of like uh, the sense of when we're moving from where we began 
to where we end. And so if we think about that, like in terms of relationships like marriage and dating, there's something in us that drives us to do extra work when we're starting to date or when you maybe even get engaged and get married. For instance, uh, my wife, we've uh, been married for 21 years now, um, got married, uh, we're, we're from Arkansas, and so, or at least I am, and so we got married in our early 20s, right? Uh, and um, nobody does that anymore, it doesn't seem so. Um, but when I, she can attest, I'm not the great romantic, but there, you know, you go out of your way when you're early in those uh, relationships. Like, I remember one time we went on a picnic. Uh, I went to a Baptist university there in Arkansas. We did. And there's a river that comes down next to it, and we go down there. <clears throat> and, of course, I was, uh, didn't have much beans, so I think we had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and a candle. Uh, but I did have a friend, a, a good friend like Philip, who was good uh, with the guitar. He came down there and serenaded us. And we brought uh, Kool-Aid, uh, but I was so ignorant of things, I didn't know you had to add sugar to Kool-Aid, so it was just uh, the, the water, right? But she, the, the problem is, she'll attest, like, I'm, that's not in my nature just to do those things, right? There's something in, you, in me that drove me to do that. Um, and it's that, that early movement that, that drives us. Or we even think about weddings. When people get married... We spend thousands of dollars, right? There's something in us to do, spend all this uh, money to have a community that comes together and blesses what we do. Because there's something important about that, and we're moved to do those things. And Paul, what Paul is saying here is like, there's something about your experience with the Spirit, and particularly when we are, uh, we're baptized, right? This is the marker of when the Spirit comes on us. Not only are we imaging that Christ, that we died and raised with Christ, but also we're, being, we're imaging the idea that the Spirit comes and washes us and sanctifies us as well. And so it's this beginning experience of the Spirit that moves us. And I don't know about you and your baptism, but like when I was uh, uh, raised in a church like this, First Baptist in Midland, and uh, I came to faith uh, when I was 10 in vacation Bible school. And I distinctly remember um, <clears throat> being very nervous about walking the aisle. You know, it's a big church. You know, if you're a little kid, this uh, church this size doesn't seem that, you know, doesn't seem that big to us. But to the little kid, walking down that aisle and then going up and doing some weird ceremony, right? I didn't, you're always worried, am I going to do it wrong or something like that? Um, but there, I knew for sure that I'd come to faith because I wasn't scared to do that anymore. There was something in me that was moving me to pursue God and follow Him and take those risks uh, to be obedient to God no matter what. <clears throat> and that's that, that sign that the Spirit is moving in our hearts when we have uh, things like that. <clears throat> and so I wonder... Um, for you, I mean, some of you in this room maybe uh, haven't been baptized, and so as we talk about this, we're, Paul's question is to those who had been baptized, and what are you going to do with the rest of your life? But some need to take that step in the first place and be baptized. <clears throat> but as we uh, come to this point, right, that we're going to talk about starting the starting point, if you're a Jesus person, and we've sung a lot of songs here today about Jesus and our trust and faith in Jesus, uh, Paul is saying that you're also a spirit person. That means that if you have followed Christ, you have the Holy Spirit within you. 
Every one of you does. And so that's what we're going to talk about here. And so if we follow the Spirit in the beginning or experience the Spirit in the beginning, as Paul has told us as Jesus' people, what are we going to do with the rest of our lives? And so this is our New Year's question. What are we going to do in the new year? Are we going to forget this acquaintance we had with the Spirit, or are we going to follow in this path and continue with the Spirit? So again, let's come back to the text and just think twice about these questions that he gave us in verse 2 and 3 and then verse 5. He says, I would like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you trying to finish by works of the flesh? And then again in verse 5, he says, So I ask again, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you uh, by works of the law or by believing what you heard? And so, as a good parent, right, I think, or teacher, the things that I care about, you repeat, right? So, Paul clearly uh, is very concerned with this idea that they have started with the faith, they've started with the Spirit, but they're now turning to use the law, or works of the flesh, he says, in order to fulfill and have this new uh, spiritual life. And it's a dangerous question for us because we can easily, as we know, as Christians, fall into legalism ourselves, using the law to manage our faith, to manage our relationship with God, with others, our religious duties, do those, but we lose the Spirit, the work of the Spirit in the midst of all that. And so that's the question that Paul is posing to us here. In fact, if we want to go back through our story about what does it look like to be a Christian— Uh, in the biblical narrative and think through, again, we talked about the Old Testament and Christ and the church, and so I want to walk back through those again and think through where does the Spirit play out in those areas. So in Ezekiel 36, uh, the new covenant passage, right? So I read verse 26, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. But that's followed up by verse 27. It says, And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The whole idea is that when the spirit comes on us, it's not that we uh, are just set right before God, but that we are empowered to walk in, in obedience to God. And so it's not so much that the law is grounding that, but that the spirit is working inside of us. So we don't need this external commandments, Paul is saying, but we need the Spirit within us to work in us. In fact, but that's a hope from the Old Testament and not just one in the New Testament as well. And of course, we see this in Jesus' own ministry. Remember, uh, if you think back to Jesus' ministry, he was baptized, and it says in his baptism, the Holy Spirit comes down on him. And immediately, Luke says, and the Spirit leads him out into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days. And again, after that, the Spirit leads him back into ministry. And the first sermon he preaches in Luke chapter 4 is a quotation. It's from Isaiah 61, and and he quotes it, I, uh, the Spirit of the Lord, has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. Did you catch that? The Spirit of the Lord has anointed him in his ministry. And so Christ receives the Spirit, and through the power of the Spirit, He even walks in His ministry and does these things. 
And so if it's good enough for Jesus, hopefully it would be good enough for us to continue to walk in the power of the Spirit. And of course, if we look at the early church as well in Acts, so in Acts, we had the Spirit come down at Pentecost. We have the people respond to Peter, and Peter challenges them, be baptized and repent so that you can receive the Spirit. But what do we see? The whole rest of Acts is the story of the Spirit leading the people of God. And in fact, one of the common refrains is that they were full of the Spirit. So Stephen was full of the Spirit, or these other prophets are full of the Spirit. They're being led and asking God, where do you want us to go? What are you saying to us, and how should we respond? And so it's this same narrative that Paul is talking about in Galatians. In fact, the, the, two, the last two chapters, so Galatians have six chapters in it, he mentions the Spirit several times here in chapter 3 and in chapter 4, but really the whole focus of chapter 5 and 6 is what does it look like to live a life led by the Spirit? And so uh, you might remember there that he talks about the flesh versus the spirit. So there are the fruit of the flesh in chapter 5 that are distinguished from the fruit of the spirit. And so uh, I don't know how you have these, these uh, common Bible thing, right? The fruit of the spirit are what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Or at least that's what the NIV has. Um, and so these are the works of the Spirit. So the Spirit, uh, again, we can think of the ideas that the Spirit is some weird force or weird idea, but really these are just the basic Christian virtues, love. If God works in you to love somebody else, that is the work of the Spirit within you. Joy, right? If you can celebrate the work of God, the work of your family together and thankfulness, and enjoy even in the midst of hard times, that is the Spirit working in you. And so sometimes we can see these tangible ideas a little bit easier than knowing specifically or that, that intangible work of the Spirit within us that guides us in these ways. And so Paul's whole argument here is to follow the Spirit, not the flesh. And so sometimes there were good things here, seemingly good things that they were doing that are works of the flesh. In chapter 5, Paul talks about all the bad things, fighting, anger, um, things like that that are works of the flesh. And so the whole idea is that we have to work and attend to where the Spirit is moving and not follow the things of the flesh. But one of the important things is how do you know something of the flesh is going on is when there's division. Because it was, remember, we, I told you the story is about the cool kids versus the not cool kids. And, of course, today in, in, in modern Baptist churches, we, we don't have divisions over who is keeping the Jewish law of circumcision and eating kosher food. But we always have that pressure of there's some group of the cool kids and the not cool kids, right? The ones that have some... Uh, uh, measure or practice that the other group doesn't have, and we are implicitly better than you because we do these things. And maybe that's because uh, there are certain practices we hold, certain music we listen to. Wherever those divisions lie, what Paul is saying is the flesh is always behind that separation. And when you follow the Spirit, you're going to do the things that bring the community together. So think back to the fruit of the Spirit. Love. This is a communal 
right? It's not just loving God, but it's loving one another. So when the Spirit is there with you, you will walk in love. Joy, right? You're celebrating that. Peace, again, a very communal idea. And so if you're going to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh, you're going to walk in unity with other people or in harmony with them. And so if, you're, if you see things going on in the church or at work or your family that's bringing division and separation and anger, you know that what is behind that is the work of the flesh, not the work of the Spirit. And so as we uh, have that, we think back to, again, the things that, that lead us as uh, as example of marriages and families. Again, my wife and I have uh, mentioned we've been married for 21 years, just celebrated that anniversary. And it's that passion that you started with, right? Now, it may not look exactly the same way as you continue and follow the Spirit uh, in, in our marriages and our relationships, but you've got to keep doing something, right, like that uh, at the beginning in order to keep things going at the end. Or as not at the end, but as they keep going. And so uh, for us, uh, I learned, look, the picnics, that's uh, not something good for me. The other thing I tell people is like the, one of the best books I ever read was The Five Love Languages. Uh, I was uh, not only bad at picking out picnic ideas, uh, but I was also very horrible. I am horrible about gift giving. Uh, and it was such a burden lifted off my shoulders when I found out that my wife, is her love language is not gift giving either. And so uh, that I could spend a waste a lot of energy and it not do any uh, much good for her, or I could spend energy washing the dishes, cleaning the house, uh, since her, she's nodding her head, right? Um, but so you have to commit to these things, right? It's not just passion at the beginning that keeps you going, it's the commitment to these things at the end. And so our family, uh, what has kept us going? Uh, you know, we're not perfect. There are many days where I would rather lay on the couch and watch TV and many days that I still lay on the couch and watch TV when I should be uh, washing the dishes or doing things to show love. But we have other practices that we've committed ourselves to. So uh, when we sit down as a, a meal with a family, right, it's the no phones rule, right? Unless we're looking up something that we're arguing about, uh, you know, the, we, you're allowed to do that. But our whole goal is that we're going to spend time together if we're going to eat a meal together. Or uh, our family are big, big board game players. Um, my son, he's uh, 18, just went off to college in Chicago, and uh, we drove him up there, and he had these two big plastic bins, and two-thirds of his bin space were board games that he had to take with him, because he, he's like, Who, as long as I have just enough clothes to wear uh, and enjoy sitting in the dorm with friends. And so, uh, but that's the one way that we, you know, it, not exactly the same way we started our relationship, but it is the way that we maintain that relationship uh, to spend time with one another as a family. And it's what, that's what grounds us. <clears throat> and so what Paul is saying here is that those things that grounded you are still the things that have to keep you going. Otherwise, you'll, you'll dry up, you'll burn out in your faith. You'll end up following the flesh instead of following the Spirit. And so, uh, like I said, everybody here, if you're a Jesus person, you're a spirit person. So that means that every person here is a spirit person. Every one of you here have gifts of the spirit to share and to express here in the church. Uh, 
Every one of you here are tied into the Spirit and can walk in the Spirit and express the fruit of the Spirit. And so the, the question that stands before you today in this new year is, will you expressly walk in the ways of the Spirit and through the power of the Spirit just in the same way that you committed yourself to Christ through the Spirit in the beginning? One problem we have here, though, is the idea of deism. So I'm a college professor. I have to use a big word every once in a while. Uh, but the idea of deism, so atheism, we, we understand it's people, it's a view that God is not there. Deism is a view that God does not care. He's the distant God. You might have heard him as the watchmaker God. He created the world, but he's not active in it. And deism is one of the, uh, it drives a lot of American religion, even in the church, unfortunately, because it's a God that's distant. And so if God is not down here acting, then we just have to take care of business ourselves. We don't need to rely on the Spirit because God, the Spirit's not really that active anyway, is what deism would say. And so we always have to fight this because we have a very mechanistic view of the world driven by science and things like that. And let me give you an example uh, that was an opposite of this that, that fights against this idea. Uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, I came down with a brain condition, uh, had really bad neck pain for about a month, couldn't sleep in a bed uh, for a month. Uh, but then I got uh, double vision and so couldn't drive for about five months. And so I uh, didn't know uh, the doctors that took them quite a few months to figure out what was causing all this. And so uh, at first, they thought it might be brain tumors because anything that connects between your neck, right? If your neck's having a problem in your eyes, the only thing that's meeting in the middle is your brain. So it's either brain tumors or MS or something like that. Um, and so it was like one of these trying times to figure out, well, where, what's causing this? And th that was the biggest hurdle. Um, it turned out as a rare uh, fluid condition. So it was actually quite easy to treat, uh, much better than brain tumors or MS. But... Uh, in this time when we were waiting to figure out and trying to figure out what was going on, um, uh, I, I remember us going to a coffee shop uh, there in Sugarland, and I saw one of my pastors, <clears throat> the associate pastors, uh, who had been out of town and didn't, hadn't heard kind of the full news of, of where I was at. And in the middle of the coffee shop, he's like, uh, after he heard this story, he's like, well, we need to stop and pray right now. And so the three of us, stood up, and like he put his hand on me, and just we stayed up there and pray immediately. And it made me think, gosh, in, in my scientific mind, my deistic mind, I was just looking for a medical solution to this medical problem. And yet my pastor reminded me that, no, we don't need to walk just in that sense of science alone, that God's Spirit is there to bring healing uh, and transformation to people. And in fact, Paul even mentions that in verse 5 here. He says, does, the, does God not work miracles among you uh, through faith? And so I encourage you, as you step out and you think about this new year, if you're a Jesus person, you're a spirit person. But Paul is asking this question, do you see the works of the Spirit in you? Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you seeking, when you have trouble, for God's Spirit and prayer to come transform that situation? And so uh, that's an easy example of that. 
Let me also mention one other uh, way that, uh, particularly since this is New Year's, um, we're, everybody's doing resolutions here, right? Uh, well, not everybody. Uh, if you do resolutions, I, I read a statistic that if you uh, have a desire for something to, to change, so financially or health or wherever the, the things are that uh, people do their resolutions about, you have about a 40% chance of succeeding if you write down that resolution and make one. And you're like, man, those are horrible odds, right? So that means six out of ten of us will fail, right, is what most of us are thinking. But you have a 96% chance of failure if you don't make a resolution and write it down. So commit to change something. So it's always worth, if you are making a resolution, to, to make it explicit. You know, And you can go read all the websites about how to make good goals and all that kind of stuff. But one of the things I want to challenge you with is as you think about these resolutions for the new year, particularly to think about resolutions where you're particularly relying on the Spirit to do these things. A lot of times, like in in the deist model, uh, a great phrase that explains deism or explains how you work in that system comes from Benjamin Franklin, God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. Well, that's fundamentally not the gospel, right? The gospel is that we are broken people and need God to come fix us. And so the whole idea of Paul's model here is, look, if you needed God to come fix you, to come to faith, you still need God's help to walk the life of faith. And so if you are making resolutions this year, I encourage you to think about where can I see the Spirit in this resolution? So if you have a resolution that I need to save more money, $100, $200, $500 a month or something in your savings account, Why don't you ask the question of how can I do that in the Spirit? Can I do that saving in love or in joy or peace, right? The fruit of the Spirit, to ask those questions. And so, again, so you're not just making humanistic, good decisions, which Paul even says are the work of the flesh if God is not in it, but that you would do those in the power of the Spirit Uh, so that as you do these things, you're walking together in a community. And so again, note that communal nature of the fruit. So as you make these resolutions, don't just make resolutions that are just good for you, but are good for you, your family, and your community, and that as you do these things, that the fruit of the Spirit will be there with you. And always, uh, one way that you can attend to the Spirit, if you're wanting a resolution just about the Holy Spirit, Uh, You may not think about this immediately, but committing to read the Bible daily is a commitment to the Holy Spirit. It's common throughout the whole Bible as people talk about the inspiration that all Scripture is God-breathed or God-inspired. And so the word inspiration we have actually is tied to the word spirit. So the Spirit is the one who spoke these words And so if you want to attend to God's voice, what the Spirit is doing, then I encourage you to make a commitment, if you're looking for a resolution, to spend just five minutes in the Scripture every day as a start. If you do that, that's where the Spirit has the the, uh, place to change and encourage you to walk and continue in the Spirit. And so if we think this whole idea that we started with the Spirit that Paul is calling us to continue with the Spirit, 
we're brought back to Robert Burns' song, Auld Lang Syne. Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot and Auld Lang Syne? So if you've already forgotten what that means, it means the old times since. <clears throat> so should we forget those old times? And what Paul is saying is that as we start this new year, uh, we shouldn't, uh, and so Robert Burns actually is telling us, don't forget our old acquaintances. You should actually go drink a few pints in their memory, uh, is what the, most of the song is about, drinking together with your friends and community. And what Paul is saying is that we should not forget the Spirit right? This acquaintance that we have with the Spirit, we should not forget the Spirit, but that our new year should be marked by uh, our life and ability to follow the Spirit. And so uh, the poem goes on, for Auld Lang Syne, my dear, for Auld Lang Syne, we'll take a cup of kindness yet for Auld Lang Syne. So again, that cup is the story is about uh, drinking together and so as you think about this, and maybe uh, to put it in Paul's context, in Ephesians 5, Paul says, don't be drunk on wine, uh, but be filled with the Spirit. So as you celebrate uh, New Year's Eve tomorrow, I hope you'll uh, take that uh, challenge there, um, not just about the alcohol, but more about will your life of this new year in 2019 be a year that you keep in step with the Spirit. So let's pray. Father, uh, as, as you've told us through Paul's words in Galatians 5, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I pray for all of us here, those that are of faith, that we would not forget our acquaintance and our commitment to Christ and the Spirit, and that our lives would not be marked by works of the flesh, marked by the things that we think we can control, rather than coming and seeking dependence on you <clears throat> to guide us and lead us in that pay, path of the fruit of the Spirit <clears throat> so that we can use our gifts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.